Friday, about two-thirty, Brother Ken called me, and he said he was sick, and his wife was sick, and he was going to try to make it, and I'd be willing to wait five more minutes to see if he does. <laughs> but uh, I, I really don't know. Mike said he thought if he was not going to be here, he would have called. But uh, I didn't I didn't get no call from you, and you didn't need to, did you, Mike? So I guess I'll just go ahead, and if he shows up, I'll stop, and he can pick up. This morning, since I was unprepared and told him it would happen, I'm going to use Dr. McGee's material from Romans chapter 11. And it's not going to be easy because uh, some of the things he's saying I can't keep up with without writing down the scripture. But we'll start in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, after we have a word of prayer. Grace Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning in Jesus' name. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to help out when help is needed, but I do pray for Brother Ken. I know he was looking forward to his lesson, and he's uh, on the way you've taken to get here. And uh, if he's had to stay home because he's sick, I pray for him. And I do pray for Brother Mike, Brother Clayton, Mr. Parks and others that sick maybe that we don't know about, but help me with this lesson, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 11, 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Every time I read one of the verses in the Scripture, and I'm just going to read what he says about it. What people is Paul talking about? Israel. In case the amillennialists might miss this, Paul is very specific. Paul himself is present proof. He is a true Israelite, genuine stock. He is descended from Abraham. He is from one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin, one of the two tribes that never succeeded from the nation. He was 100% Israelite. God forbid, is more accurately, let it not be. It is a strong negative. From the form of the question, demands a negative answer. God has not cast away Israel as a nation. And I think we all can say amen to that. In verse 2. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Wote ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Romans 11, 2 and 3. Paul uses old Elijah as an illustration and makes a good one. Elijah stood for God, and he stood alone. How I admire that man standing alone for God against 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah goes to the Lord to complain. He says, Lord, I am all alone. I am the only one left. And God says, wait a minute. You think you are alone, but you are not. What saith answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image 
of Baal, Romans 11, 4. Elijah was totally unaware that God had been working in the hearts of 7,000 men. If there were 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to Baal, then it follows that there were about twice as many women who did not know the, excuse me, did not bow the knee to uh, Baal either. If you go by percentages, for the northern kingdom, this was a sizable remnant in the day of Ahab and Jezebel. And then <coughs> next verse, 5. Even as, even so then, at this present time also, there's a remnant according to the election of grace, Romans 11, 5. God always had a remnant in Israel. That remnant today is composed of those Jews who have come to Christ. This is the reason Paul will say later that all Israel is not Israel. Verse 6, And if by grace then it's no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be a work, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Romans eleven six. In other words, grace and works represent two mutually exclusive systems. They are diametrically opposed to each other. The remnant at this time is composed of those who are not saved by works or by merit. They are saved by the grace of God. The future purpose of God from the day Paul wrote down to the present concerns their will, except those who will accept Christ. What about those who do not accept Christ? Well, the remainder of Israel <coughs> is blinded. It is important to notice that they were hardened because they failed. They did not fail because they were hardened. A lot of folk get the cart before the horse. In fact, they get the horse in the cart, and it doesn't belong there. Now, let me just stop. You know what I'm doing. Does anybody have any questions, any comments about his? All right, verse, verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Romans eleven seven. Did they fail to come to Christ because they had been blinded? Oh, no. They had been exposed to the gospel as no other people have been exposed to it. God said, All day long have I stretched forth my hands into a disobedient and gainsaying people. Romans 10.21 He has been patient with them. Now they're blinded because they would not accept the light he gave them. In verse 8, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Uh, Romans 11, 8. They had respect, you see, when a man rejects. They had rejected, you see. When a man rejects, he becomes the most difficult to reach with the grace of God. And David said, Let the table be made a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Romans eleven nine. 
This is a quotation from Psalm 69:22, which says, Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. The table had reference to feasting, which is representative of material prosperity. The children of Israel had great feasts at which they were actually guests of God. They didn't did not invite God to their feast as the pagans did. Rather, God invited them. The Passover was a notable example. The thought here is that they were feasting in a conceited confidence which was entirely pagan. Their carnal security deceived them as to their true spiritual ruin. They trusted the things they ate without any true confidence in God. My friend, this is a condition at the present moment of multitudes of church members. They come in to the Lord's Supper without spiritual understanding. Any questions, comments? <clears throat> Verse 10. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their neck always. Romans 11.10. God gives light in order that men might see, but if they are blind, they will not see. The light reveals the blindness of multitudes today. I'm amazed that so many intelligent people do not seem to understand what the Bible is all about. He <clears throat> says the reason for setting aside the nation Israel, the nation Israel was set aside for the salvation of the Gentiles. Paul deals with this in the following section. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fail? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Romans 11, 11. In other words, I say then, did they stumble in order that they might fall away with the thought? That's not it. But by their false step, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Now Paul opens this verse with the same engaging inquiry as he did. Verse 1, do you remember that he raised the question, Hath God cast away his people? His question is, Have they stumbled in such a way that they will not rise again? The answer is an emphatic negative. Their fall, wa excuse me, their fall has enabled God through his providence to open the gates of salvation wide to the Gentiles. The Jew will see the reality of salvation of the Gentiles that they are experiencing the blessings of God which the Jew thought could come only to him. This should move him to emulation that not jealousy as we define it. In our trips to Israel, we have had several guides who were Jewish. They were puzzled that we were so interested in things that are Jewish in the nation, Israel. They marveled at that. I have visited other countries and enjoyed them. I enjoyed England become, because some of my ancestors came from there, that area. In Egypt, I saw the pyramids 
and that great hunk of rock there, and now that I have seen it, I don't want to see it again. But I have an interest in Israel that is not equal to any other nation. The Jewish people don't understand this. One Jewish guy talked to me about it. He said, I want to know why these things are so important to you. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the mention of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, Romans 11, 12. Israel has been set aside. That is, God is not dealing with them as a nation at this time. When God does begin to deal with them, they won't have any problem with the Arab, with the conflict. <coughs> that conflict will be completely resolved. Israel will not live in fear because God has made it very clear that every man is going to dwell in peace and tranquility. But they shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and nine and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. That's Micah 4, 4. Now, since their setting aside has brought the grace of God to Gentiles, what about the grace of God toward the Gentiles? After the Jews are received again, it will be multiplied. And James made this clear at that great council at Jerusalem. He said that God is calling out from among Gentiles a people for his name, just as he is calling out Israelites. Then God says, after this, I will return, and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles from whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, Acts 15, 16, 17. And this is my reason for periodically making a statement that sometimes puzzles folk that the greatest revival took place in the earth before the church got here. I use the word revival in the popular sense of a turning to God a man by the name of Jonah went to the city of Nineveh and saw the entire city turn to God. It is true that there was a great turning to God on the day of Pentecost, which marked the beginning of the church, but what was the percentage? Pentecost was a feast in Jerusalem to which all male Israelites were required to go. There must have been several hundred thousand Jews in the environs of Jerusalem. How many were saved? Well, judging from the record, there were probably about 10,000 who were saved after the first few days of preaching. That is actually a small percentage, and a great revival since then took place in the Hawaiian Islands. The percentage there was probably 50%, but that was small in comparison to the days of Jonah. And I believe that the greatest revival will take place after the church leaves the earth. Actually, the church has not done too well. I believe that after the church has been raptured, multitudes of Gentiles will turn to God, not only in the great tribulation period, but in the millennium. Gentile nations will enter the millennium, and a great many of them are going to like the rule of Christ, 
and they will turn God to God during that period. I believe this with all my heart. Any questions, comments? I, I suppose so. Uh, <clears throat> this is, I didn't even read Micah. I just picked up the book and hit it up here. And I honestly, I enjoy teaching when I prepare it, but this short notice, I, I wasn't ready. I had a hard time yesterday and hard time this morning. But I'm sure you're probably right. And if you're wrong, it'll get straightened out in the future. I'm not saying you're wrong. I said if you're wrong. Okay, uh, where did I stop at? Verse 13 and 14, I guess. Uh, for I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them, Romans 11, 13, 14. Jonathan, I have a pretty good excuse. Do you see I don't have all four eyes? A car, two pair. I was trying to get everything. I remembered the donuts, the book, the Bible, and forgot my peepers. Perhaps my translation will help you in the understanding of these two verses. But I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I... Paul, and the apostle of the Gentiles, I glorify my ministry. If by any means I may move to emulation, that is to provoke to jealousy them of my flesh, and may save some of them. In other words, Paul says, in effect, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I rejoice in that. But as I preach to the Gentiles, I hope, I will move many of my own people to turn to Christ also. Paul, you remember, wrote to the Corinthians and to the Jews, I, <coughs> to the Jews, I become as a Jew that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under law, that I might gain them that are under the law. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. Now this is the reason that Paul went to Jerusalem with his head shaven and under an oath. He was trying to win his people to Christ. Should he have done this since he lived under grace? Living under grace means that he could do it if he wanted to. In his letter to the Corinthians, he continued, To them that are without law, as with law, without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law, 1 Corinthians 9.21. In other words, he was obeying Christ. Then Paul says, to the weak, became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, 1 Corinthians 9.22. He was first of all fulfilling his office as an apostle to the Gentiles, and in so doing, he was trying to move his Jewish brethren to turn to Christ. Some turned to Christ, only a few, but some. And all of his, of all this, Paul was fulfilling the ministry, and God 
was accomplishing his uh, purpose in this age with both Jew and Gentile. I understand the satisfaction Paul felt in doing what God had called him to do. God has placed in you, my friend. He may want you to get busy and teach a Sunday school class, do personal work, or reach people through a business enterprise, or he may want you to support another who is really getting out the Word of God. Whatever it is, you will experience great satisfaction in doing what you are confident God has called you to do. And right there, I'm not sure. I don't always know when I'm doing what God wants me to do. Sometimes I wonder if what I'm doing I just do because I want to. And maybe I haven't prayed about it enough or whatever, but that always has bothered me. I don't know that I'm always doing God's will when I do something. Uh, Romans eleven fifteen. It is wonderful to anticipate the future. I think the greatest days are ahead for us. From man's point of view, the future is dark. Man has gotten his world in a mess. I felt sorry for a businessman to whom I was talking in Hawaii. We started chatting on the golf course. He told me that he was a businessman from Chicago, a vice president of some concern. Obviously, he had money, but oh, how pessimistic he was about the future. Many thinking people are very pessimistic about the future of our civilization, but my God is on the throne, and he's going to straighten it out. The greatest days are yet in the future. Oh, the glorious future the child of God has. If I were not a dignified preacher, I would say hallelujah. And I say hallelujah anyway, brother. Verse 16, for if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. You, that's verse 16. Uh, you may uh, recall that in the book of Numbers, God said, Of the first of your dough you shall give unto the Lord, and heave offering in your generations. Numbers fifteen twenty one. Dough, of course, is bread, dough. And part of the dough was offered to God as a token that all of it was acceptable. The first fruit evidently refers to the origin of the nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Holy has no reference to any moral quality, but to the fact that it was set apart for God. Now, if the first fruit or the first dough that little bit of dough was set apart for God. What about the whole harvest? Since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were set apart for God, what about the nation? It all belongs to God, you see. God is through, excuse me, God is not through with that nation, Israel. And if some of the branches be broken off, though being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, with them partakers of the root, and fatness of the olive tree, Romans eleven seventeen. Uh, anybody questions, comments? <clears throat> uh, you and I benefit because of the nation Israel. That is the reason 
I could never be anti-Semitic. I owe too much to them as a nation. Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, the bearest not the root, but the root thee. <coughs> that will <coughs> that will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in Romans 11, 18, and 19. Uh, if anybody don't have no comment, I got one. Not being as smart as some people, it took me a while to figure out what anti-Semitism was, but that it can't be anything but the devil. You agree? Don't agree. Well, if you hate a Jew, don't you think that's wrong? Absolutely. I think it's of the devil. I, not too long ago, maybe 15 years ago, 16 years ago, there was a man out of uh, Georgia. He was uh, on television. He was preaching what he called dual covenant theology. And I started scratching my head. What in the world are you talking about? Well, he completely eliminated the Jewish people. And I said, you're a bad fella. And I turned him off. And later, if you want to know what his name was, I'll tell you. But I think that's a rotten thing to do is say that God is done with Israel. And don't you believe that all these preachers that are born again still believe that God is not done with Israel? Many of them say they're saved, and I believe they are, but they completely eliminate Israel. And a real popular couple of them. <clears throat> okay, before I started talking, where was I at? Romans eleven seventeen or 18? Romans 18. All right. Uh, how about 18 and 19? Okay. The olive tree is the picture of the nation Israel, and the wild olive is the church. Everything you and I have is rooted in the fact that God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that our, that out of the nation Israel, he brought forth Jesus Christ as Savior and our Lord. Amen to that. Well, because of the unbelief, they were broken off. Thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, Romans eleven twenty. The important thing is that they were set aside because of their unbelief. Oh, my Christian friend, do you not stand before God on your merit, your church membership, or your good life? You stand on the basis alone, your faith in Jesus Christ. Now Paul gives a word of warning. If God spared not the natural branches, take heed, least he also spare not thee, Romans eleven twenty one. Since God did not spare the nation of Israel when they apostatized, the argument is that he will not spare an apostate church. I am more and more convinced that the church, which is based on the philosophy of ritual or some sort of I can't, I can't pronounce that word, but uh, the uh, G-Y-R-O-F-L-E-C-T-I-O-N, gyroflexion or something, 
the type of the church which was designated in the third chapter of the book of Revelation as a church of Laodicea will go into the great tribulation. As Dr. George Gill used to say, some churches will meet on Sunday morning after the rapture and they won't miss a member. And that's Laodicea. In, in contrast to this, he says to the church of Philadelphia, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, that is, the tribulation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon earth. Revelation 3.10. He promised to keep them from the tribulation, that church which has an open door before it and is getting out the word of God. My friend, I belong to that church. I hope you do also. And is an invisible body of believers. This is the church will be taken to meet Christ at the time of the rapture, which proceeds precedes the great tribulation. Jackson. Okay. Now we shall see that the restoration of the nation Israel will bring the greatest blessing. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Romans eleven twenty two. These are stern words. Paul calls upon the Gentiles to behold two examples. Rejected Israel reveals the severity of God, but to the Gentiles who have turned to God, the benevolent goodness of God is revealed. These two sides of God need to be revealed today. The judgment of God against the rejection of Christ and against sin and the grace of God to those that will trust Christ. Paul did not have the complete picture of the severity of God toward Israel. The history of Israel is the history of Israel in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and all that succeeded it is a terrifying story. My friend, let's not trifle with the grace of God. It is grace which has brought us into the family of God and granted us many privileges. After our 1900 years, the Gentile church is as much a failure, if not more so, than Israel. That's pretty strong, isn't it? <clears throat> Verse 23, And they also, if they abide not, still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Romans eleven twenty-three. Since God accepted Gentiles who had no merit, surely God can restore Israel who likewise has no merit. Again is the key word. God will again restore Israel. The Old Testament makes it very clear that Israel is going to turn to God again. As an example, read Jeremiah 23, 3-8, which is one of the many remarkable prophecies of the restoration of Israel. Zechariah speaks of the restoration of Israel, and I will pour upon the 
house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in the bitterness for his firstborn. Zechariah 12.10. This will be the great day of atonement. They'll turn to God in repentance, and God will save them just as he saves us by his marvelous, infinite mercy and grace. Now, verse 24. For if through, if, <coughs> excuse me, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted in into their own olive tree? Paul continues the illustration for the olive tree. The olive tree is Israel with Abraham the root. Some of the branches were cut off. The nation as such was rejected. God grafted in Gentiles but not by their becoming Jewish proselytes, which would mean they had to adopt the Old Testament ritual. Rather, he cut off Israel and grafted in the church, including both Jew and Gentile, directly and immediately upon Abraham by faith. If God could and did do that, it is responsible to conclude that he can and will take the natural branches and graft them in again. In other words, he will not cast Israel away permanently. Verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, but you should be wise in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to Israel <coughs> until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Romans eleven twenty five. I heard Dr. McGee say any time Paul used the word ignorant, I would not have you to be ignorant. He's saying to the people, you are ignorant, but he only said it in a nice way. So <coughs> I get it when people are coming at me in that fashion. The fullness of the Gentiles began with the calling out of the church. Simeon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, Acts fifteen fourteen. It will continue until the rapture of the church. Blindness and hardness of Israel will continue as long as the church is present in the world. The word mystery needs a word of explanation. In the ancient world of Paul's day, there were mystery religions. They applies in a popular way to a story that has an unrevealed plot or person. It is used in Scripture in neither of these ways. In the New Testament, the word is used to refer to that which had been concealed but is now revealed. The mystery here is the identification of the fullness of the Gentiles which was not a subject of revelation in the Old Testament. And so all Israel shall be saved, that it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Romans 11, 26, 27. <coughs> 
when excuse me, when Paul says all Israel shall be saved, he doesn't mean every individual Israelite will be saved. It is the nation he has before us in this chapter. In every age, only a remnant is saved. The quotation Paul uses is from Isaiah 59:20 in the Old Testament, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and to them that turn from transgression to Jacob, saith the Lord, the message to the individual, <coughs> individual is that they will have to turn from transgressions to the Lord. There will be a remnant that will turn to him. All of them will be saved. He speaks of the saved remnant as the nation Israel. There is always a remnant that is saved. There is a remnant in Elijah's day. There was a remnant in David's day. There was a remnant in Paul's day. There is a remnant in our day, and there will be a remnant during the Great Tribulation period. As concerning uh, chapter 11, 28 and 29, as the gospel, they are enemies for our your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for our Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, he's got a, uh, several verses here, and I'm supposed to read after that, but before I do, you have any questions? Okay. In other words, with reference to the gospel, there are enemies for your sake, but with reference to the election, there are blood for the sake of the Father. For the gifts of grace and the calling of God are without repentance. Without a change of mind, Paul is summed up for preceding discussion. There have been two lines of thought which are seemingly in conflict and contradictory, although both are true. In the first place, Israel is regarded as an enemy for the sake of the Gentiles. That is so, the gospel can go to the Gentiles. On the other hand, they are beloved for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, a Christian cannot indulge in any form of anti-Semitism. My, my, my. Uh, <clears throat> that is a point I have made before, and I continue to make it. The failure of Israel and our failure, likewise, do not alter the plan and purposes of God. The gifts are natural gifts, but the word has to do with grace. The calling is an invitation, but is the effectual calling of God, which is without repentance. In other words, God is not asking even repentance from an unsaved person. The calling of God does not require any human movement. From God's viewpoint, it is without man's repentance and change of mind. Some folk think that they have to shed tears in order to be saved. Now, certainly shedding tears could be a byproduct of the emotional person who turns to Christ, but the tears have nothing in the world to do with your salvation. It is your faith in Christ that saves you, and neither is your faith meritorious. It is Christ who is meritorious. Your faith enables you to lay hold of him. Uh, 30 and 31, I guess we could stop, we think, a little bit earlier. <laughs> For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so, 
Have these also now not believed that through your mercy uh, they also may obtain mercy? Romans 11, 30 to 31. You see, Paul is trying, excuse me, Paul is writing to the Gentiles. The church in Rome was largely, largely composed of Gentile believers. By the time many Gentiles were saved, he is drawing a contrast here between the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. In times past, the Gentiles did not believe, but now a remnant of the Gentiles have obtained mercy. During the same time period, Israel as a nation which formerly believed does not now believe. Paul puts down the principle by which God saved both Jew and Gentile. It is by mercy, just as God showed mercy to the Gentiles, he will show mercy to the nation Israel. In verse 32, For God had not concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Romans 11, 32, Both Jew and Gentiles are in the stubborn state of rebellion and aggravated unbelief because of this. By grace we are saved through faith, and that not ourselves is a gift of God, not a work which any man should boast. And he says, What is the reason that the nation Israel will be restored? Well, that is locked in the riches of the wisdom of God. My friend, let's rest on the fact that what God is doing is wise. It is right, and it is the best that can be done. You and I have an old nature and questions God when he makes a decision. I've heard many Christians say, why are the heathen lost when they haven't heard the gospel? God has no right to condemn them. My friend, God has every right imaginable. He is God, and what he is doing is right. If you think it is right, you think it is wrong, and if you don't think he is being smart, you are wrong. God is not stupid. You and I may be stupid, but God is not old. How we need to recognize this, of the depth of the riches, both their wisdom and knowledge of God, unsearchable, or his judgments and his ways, finding out, Romans 11, 33. I'm going to stop. Well, I'll lend you my book. Great Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that People do enjoy Dr. G, even though it's, it's secondhand. I pray for Tim Whitworth. I'm hoping that he would get here. I pray for the people that are here. pray for the citizen pastors. pray for our pastors away when he travels home. pray for all the brothers and sisters here, especially the ones that are sick and hurting. Uh, Brother Mike, uh, Brother Clayton, and... Uh, Brother Parks and many that may have not said anything, Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My eyes run together. Well, I'm just reading his lesson, but it's difficult. I can't see what I'm reading. It's all run together. I couldn't even see if it's 20 to 11 or 11.30 or quarter to 8.